Welcome back to Tuesdays with Tim, the podcast that covers all things related to brain injuries among children and those who have been impacted by my son, Luke. Today, we have not one, but two special guests, John Hartman and Rhonda Johnson. How are both of you doing today? All right. Doing good. Thanks. John, I'd like to start with you. Many people know that Team Luke Holt for Mind started with the merging of two nonprofits. What people don't right. know is that Hope for Minds began as Hope for JD, and JD is your son. Could you take me back to the day that JD had his accident? Sure. So um, this was October, fall of uh, 2008, October, early October. And uh, historically, to set the stage, historically, my son and I, JD, had I have uh, three, uh, three younger daughters. JD's the oldest of four. Um, so JD and then three younger daughters. And uh, historically, J.D. and I, I guess the prior two years or three years, we had always gone to Texas OU, uh, the Texas OU game. So J.D.'s now 11 years old and he's in fifth grade and um, at this current time. And uh, that summer, um, we had decided we wanted to put a swimming pool in. And so we put a pool in and it was all kind of wrapped up around the time at the end of September, um, early October. And so it was kind of a... a we, we, I told JD, I said, we're not going to do the Texas OU thing. It's, you know, it's an expensive trip. We just spent a lot of money on this pool and, you know, let's enjoy it here. And you have soccer. Anyway. So that day started out, you know, with us, um, uh, going and playing soccer. He played soccer at one of his, uh, you know, club, uh, games. And then, uh, we came home and, uh, we brought a TV outside. We watched a UT game and Longhorns ended up winning and. And I remember recalling saying, you know, and it was a bright, sunny day, you know, probably 75, 80, or probably 85 to 80 something degrees. And I was good enough to swim. And just saying to myself, man, this is, this is a perfect day. And, uh, my, my wife, Beth, at the time, uh, her dad had had a stroke and was in, uh, recovery downtown at Health South. And so she had taken, uh, my middle two daughters, um, Macy and Catherine Grace with her to go down and cut his hair and hang out with him. So it left me with JD and my youngest daughter at the time, who was three named Claire. So JD's, JD's 11. He's probably five foot tall, knows how to swim perfectly. You know, Claire's strapped in all kinds of, you know, uh, flotation devices around her. So she can't, you know, stumble on and do anything. Um, and so we have, uh, I grow out and have a, an afternoon together, and uh, I, I uh, at the end of um, the meeting, I said, I'm going to run in and clean this this, this pan off, J.D., and I, you and Claire stay up in the hot tub, which is kind of what's kind of elevated, and you watch her, and um, she's floating around in there, and he's standing there, and, you know, there was a rule that you weren't supposed to jump off. We had this built-in slide that kind of went around the hot tub, and it had four or five steps that went up. And uh, I went inside for a few minutes. I don't know. It must have been four or five minutes probably, not very long. And uh, when I came out, I just had an uneasy feeling about it. I looked up and I didn't see his head up there. I saw Claire bouncing around. I thought, well, maybe we just kind of went under. And I ran up there and uh, ran up to the top. And uh, I, you know, I saw him laying on the bottom of the hot tub. And so, you know, instantly I freaked, uh, freaked out. Um, I, I jumped in, pulled him out, and, um, you know, started to resuscitate him. Um, he had 
you know, he was clearly uh, um, at a near drowning uh, event, and actually, it wasn't his heart wasn't beating. Um, I had the toughest decision I had to make at that moment was I had another adult there with me, and so I needed to get a phone call out to nine one one. Thankfully, back in those days, we had uh, uh, we had some landlines and we had remotes, you know, that you could take around like four or five lines, you know, remote uh, phones. And I had brought it out to the outdoor patio and I ran down the steps, left him on the, the top. That was the toughest probably part I recall of thinking I got to leave him, and go get that phone and make a call. So I called 911. I come back up. We're going through. I'd already started some GPR, but you know, she's helping me with. The, the, the proper techniques and everything, turn on the side, doing the things that I was doing. And she said, I've got somebody on the way. And where we lived was really you know, a blessing. It was only a, like literally like two or three blocks away with the brand new fire station. And so the guys arrived fairly quickly. The thing is, is I had two gates and I had locks on the gates um, because I didn't want neighborhood children to, you know, sneak back there and fall in and something happened. Um, very, very cautious about everything we did with our kids for safety. And uh, so, um, you know, here we are in this position. Well, somehow those gates were unlocked and I hadn't unlocked them. So, you know, God's hand was at play there. They would come running in. They take over. Uh, I call Beth, my uh, my wife at the time, and, and uh, start explaining what's going on. And, you know, of course, she's in shock. Um, we end up transporting to the hospital, um, and, um, you know, he had a faint heartbeat and, uh, they, um, did lots of, you know, treatments. It was a, you know, I think I went in there with just a bench suit on and no, no shirt and no shoes probably. And, uh, um, we started to kind of flood around the community because the, he's a real small community and, uh, the school had, was fairly new, uh, and the kids all knew each other. And, you know, there were a lot of kids his age and whatnot. And so, um, we had some friends and we had, you know, lots of folks in the, you know, coming to the hospital and we started getting out, but he was in, um, that night was a long night. Um, the, the doctor told us that, uh, his lungs were severely, um, uh, damaged from the intake of the chemicals. So one of the things that is, uh, really, um, a disadvantage if you are submerged and have a near drowning incident is uh, in a hot pool because you have chemicals and you have heat. So salt, cold water, freezing water, you'll, you'll hear stories of folks that have fallen into a frozen lake and, and been under for five or six or eight minutes or 10 minutes. And it kind of puts them in a state of shock, shows, right. shuts, their, shuts their body down. Mm-hmm. And uh, the chemicals and the heat um, did not help the situation. And so, uh, they were trying to intubate him to get him, you know, some, his, his, uh, sat levels, saturation levels, they're at 70. So, you know, that means that we have loss of oxygen to the brain. And, uh, so, uh, it was getting really late, early kind of the next morning when, um, the, he said, I think we should call the chaplain. And the chaplain walks in, Beth and I are sitting there just not knowing what's going on. And like all these people have been just bagging him for hours and hours and hours. And um, they went to a baby uh, little puffer monitor or uh, 
intubator that would just do real short puffs. And they said, we got, we got it. We got it. He's, he's getting his stuff's coming up. And so, you know, that was a second miracle there. And then um, from there, we, you know, we, uh, we went through the journey of uh, the change of, uh, of life as we knew it. Um, he spent a, a month at Dell, six months at a neuro rehab hospital. He stayed in a, he was in a coma for, for six, uh, he's coma for a full year. Coma is not necessarily means you're just catatonic. It just means your, your level of awareness. There's different levels. And he's, his was at a certain level, you know, um, for over a year, even when he was home with us. And then he didn't speak for, um, six years. Didn't say a word. He would, you know, maybe ouch kind of stuff, mumble or ooh, or, but nothing, no clear words or any kind of communication at all. Yeah. You so, mentioned, John, you also mentioned that you're in a close knit community. You and Rhonda both live in Austin and, and obviously everyone in your community knew about JD and knew about what happened. Uh, and, and I know that Rhonda, uh, a neighbor at the time, um, had heard about, uh, what had happened to JD. Rhonda, tell us, um, how you became involved. I remember exactly where I was when someone told me that this had happened. I did not know the Hartmans. Um, they lived several streets away, but I just really, oh, I felt just very moved by what was happening. I wanted to help them. I mean, it was yeah. it was a lot to think of that that could happen in our neighborhood, and especially to an 11-year-old. People were saying, I think he was on the swim team, maybe, or he he really knew how to swim. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he was a good swimmer. Seven years old. It wasn't. So it was just a really a freak accident that yeah. I don't think you all. No, I still don't really know. I think he climbed up the steps and jumped, jumped in. And I believe he, he didn't have any head trauma. So we believe he knocked the wind out of himself on the seat on his back when his back hit it and just, you know, sucked in water. Um, it's, he had a little scratch on his back. That was pretty much it. So I, um, reached out to a couple of friends that knew them personally and just letting them know that if, you know, if they needed anything that I was willing to do whatever, um, to help their family during this time. And I was able to meet John one time when, um, a friend of ours was dropping off, um, one of his daughters and with my daughter. So I went in and, and, was able to meet him and just say, you know, I would love to do something for your family. Can I pick up the girls from school for you? Since Beth was in Dallas, um, you know, he was here trying to do everything, work and take care of the girls. So I just started picking up the girls from school and we would just make cookies or go get Sonic, um, just doing, you know, some fun things to, so they could have somewhat of a normal situation um, so that's, that's how I began helping. And John, after the one year you'd mentioned one year that JD was home, it's now been 15 years since the accident. And if you can tell the audience how JD is doing at this time, he's improving. Um, he's improving every year. We were told, uh, when we were in the rehab center, uh, in Dallas that you're really going to see a plateau probably at six to eight months. It's kind of going to be where you're going to be. And, you know, we kind of didn't take that as a, you know, we didn't believe that. And so we kept pushing on things, pushing for things and um, getting involved with therapies and uh, 
uh, did a lot of extensive uh, out of pocket, you know, non non uh, insurance covered therapies. We did some until we exhausted it, and then we just had to keep going because this was a long term event. Um, and Rhonda uh, and a group of had decided, why don't we throw a fundraiser, um, a golf tournament, or no, it was a cookout, right? Yeah, it was a cookout. We had fairly soon after we got there, tons of people showed up and, you know, it was overwhelming. We pulled into the neighborhood, drove back from Dallas, and there were signs on the wall, on the on the street signs, I mean, on the fences. And it just gives me chills thinking about how nothing had really happened like this in that community. And uh, they were just, everybody wanted to do something. And, uh, you know, I'm a man and I'm like, well, you know, I, I was overwhelmed. I'm like, okay. Uh, and, uh, but I was very thankful so we did some of these things and the second, um, well, let me, let me finish what my answer was to you. He's doing, he's doing great. Um, he now lives in a, uh, in a, uh, in a, uh, we call it his dorm. It's, it's basically, it's a disabled community, um, where he has roommate and he has activities and they go do stuff and there's horses and it's on 200 acres here and, uh, and it's close to me in Austin. And so, um, he continues to get better. Um, his first words that he said, uh, I still remember, um, Beth called me at work and said he spoke. You know what his first words were? He said, no, what? He said, I love Jesus. And it it just resounded to me that my son had spent some time in, in the presence of Jesus. And there was still work to be done. And that he had impacted a lot of people's lives already. Um and so we kind of, you know, look at it, looked at it as, you know, this is not a bad, you know, you, you get the struggles of, well, I see his friends graduating from high school and getting married and going to college. And, you know, you get to a point where you have to quit thinking about those things because we've been given a different lot. And our lot is, is, is one that's, uh, it's, you got to find your, your, your beauty in the way it is. Now it was basically like having two, two different sons, one for 11 years and now the last one for, you know, 15 years. And I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change it. Um, and John, you had mentioned also that he did not speak a word, you know, when, when I've talked to so many different families and of course, what I experienced with my son, Luke, when we were basically told at about 18 months, things will level out. You mentioned six months. Well, Luke made the most progress in year six. Well, for yeah. you, for you, year six is when you heard JD speak his first words. Right. Right. Um, and so his, his body had made some, he had severe spasticity and, you know, that's common with any kind of brain injury. Uh, and that started to, uh, resolve itself during that six years. So it was, it was more comfortable, but then, uh, it kind of the rewiring. Well, actually we had gone, uh, part of the funds that were raised, we used to go get stem cells done. And at the time you could only do stem cells. Uh, these were, uh, these were cord blood stem cells. They were harvested in the U.S. and multiplied in the U.S., but you had to get them administered. It wasn't FDA approved for this type of treatment, so you had to get them done in Mexico. So there was a doctor in San Diego, and we went in a, in a connecting doc, and, and he went and had a practice over in Mexico, literally right across the border. And they had a big process of going to see this doctor up uh, in San Clemente and then traveling down with these stem cells in our hands because they were very expensive. I want to say they were like $20,000, $15,000, $20,000. Yeah. 
for 7 million stem cells. And we did this fairly early on and, uh, and there was no downside to it other than the expense. And we decided that we needed to participate in uh, trying everything we could. And um, I think over time, and I know over time, actually, it, it increased his awareness. It increased his, 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 uh, his, uh, he has what's called, uh, his vision is pretty poor. Um, and he sees his cortical blindness where stroke victims have similar things where they see in little tiny squares. So there's little bits that he can uh, pick up and that improved. And so I think that in conjunction with, you know, the therapies and uh, the interaction and, and whatnot, he, uh, and we just kind of didn't accept the fact that that was going to be the end all be all. And, you know, and he didn't either. And so it just kind of went forward from there. Well, John, you know, JD is improved because of therapies, but he's also improved because of the love that he receives from, from you and from his, his mom and, and siblings. And so there's no question that, that to me, love is the greatest therapy. Uh, I think you guys are a testament to that. Take me back to when you decided or you had the idea to begin, you know what, maybe I can have a nonprofit under, in my son's name. Yeah. So we had had a second um, fundraiser. This was the barbecue at the Circle C Development Center. And there was a bunch of people and I was just overwhelmed with how many folks were there. And we had Bevo was out there, Longhorn Bevo. He was there and we had, and Rhonda had put all this together, you know, but then she had been working on these things and kind of taken on this role of kind of the leader of this movement. And I said, as I did a little talk and I said, you know what, we're going to start something that helps families who find themselves in this position. Because the fact of the matter is nobody has it in their budget for a wheelchair van or a ramp or remodeling their shower or you name it, you know, the things that come along, you know, you budget for college, you budget for shoes and some other things, but you just don't budget for these, these types. And then of course the therapies that, we felt were super, super important. And there's only so much that insurance will provide and resources will provide. So how about if we raise money to supplement those? And then additionally, how can we help those families who are, who are faced with kind of decisions? I was faced with, a, we were faced with a tough decision about seven or eight days into his hospital stay where the neurologist who just happened to pick up the case uh, was on call that weekend kind of took it over. And then seven days later, um, he met with us in a, you know, care meeting and said, you know, I think it, you might want to consider withdrawal of care. And I said, Dr. So-and-so, have you ever seen a miracle? He said, well, I, I've seen things that, I, you know, I can't really explain. But and I said, well, that tells me then that you don't believe in miracles. And I said, so we'll be going ahead and moving on to a different neurologist. And we're, that's absolutely absurd. So if his lot in life is for us to take him to the park and we, and he's happy and comfortable and, and healthy, then that's what we're doing. It's not our position and it's not our spot. So one of the, my roles initially and the hope for JD when we launched it was to, Rhonda would call me and say, I just got notice of somebody at the hospital. Their son fell in, their daughter fell in. And um, the dad, you know, he said, 
it would be okay if he called you. And I said, yes, because that was kind of my role was to to talk to these men or women who were sitting in that spot I was and to not tell them what to do, but to tell them what I heard and what could happen. Um, and so I kind of just tried to reiterate that to them um, right. giving as fam- they came about. Giving families hope. Yes. Exactly. So, so Rhonda, you took this role, which doesn't surprise me because uh, you have that heart, but for you to then take the role to build this movement to then hope for JD and then hope for minds before it became team Luke hope for minds. Rhonda, if you can share with me um, the progression there. So when John reached out to me and had this idea, I was a little nervous about it. Definitely did a lot of praying about it Um, because I had a job at that time that I had to to quit. But I felt, like I said, I was very moved by what was going on and how many people were rallying around. And just the fact that this was such a needed thing, we needed to to help these families. And like he said, this withdrawal of care, that's something that so many families have heard. And then, you know, you look years later, you just, I mean, I would think you'd want to take JD up to that neurologist and be like, yeah. see him now. See yeah. JD. You know, like, yeah, we, yeah, we want to give hope and we want to, to be able to help them financially uh, be able to do the things like stem cells and other things that have been so helpful for these children. Um, so we decided that we would take JD's name out of the title um, of the nonprofit People were a little confused that the money was all going to JD or, you know, it kind of was losing, you know, we just felt that it was important to make sure that people knew. Yeah, it was was, was open. It was open to, I think we were just in Texas Mm -hmm. and 18 or 21 and under. I think it was 21. 21, yeah. So in 2015, we decided to change it to Hope for Minds. That way people would know by hearing the name, what we were, you know, somewhat, a little bit of mm-hmm. what we were doing. Um, so we, we did that. And then, um, you know, of course, I reached out to y'all in 2017 to see how we could help your family. And that's when we connected and met and decided that we should do this together and change the name and merged. So although my title says Executive Director of Team Look for Minds and your title says Director of Family Services, uh, you really are um, the, I, I guess I could say the MVP, I could say the the brains behind it all, the 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 work ethic that you have, but you it really, it's more about the heart that started with wanting to help JD and John. And then um, now here we are after all of these years that I am talking to John, whose son JD was the reason we have now hope for minds and then my son. And so the two of us together, John, the, the, the thing for me that I always talk about is that if it weren't for Luke's accident, then we wouldn't be helping all these families. And it's also true that if it weren't for JD's accident. So together, Team Luke Hope for Minds, which is now in 48 states and, and helping families um, all over the country, uh, granting over half a million dollars each of the last three years, John, tell me in, in the best way you can describe what Team Look Hope for Minds now means to you. Well, it's exactly the, the vision that, um, you know, 
Uh, and I think it's all part of, you know, an overall plan. And, you know, Luke and JD happen to be the, the, uh, inspiration, um, at kind of their, ex- you know, at their kind of expense, you know, and obviously God bless you for, you know, Luke and, and, and that situation. Um, and, but it, it did have, you know, you, you guess you have two ways to look at things and it's, you know, what can we do with this to do something positive or can we sit and dwell and mourn and, and not do anything? And, um, when you put your head to it, like you do every single day, you know, uh, I mean, 365, you know, years seems like you're always involved in trying to promote this. And the, the goal is, is and the passion that I see from you and Rhonda and the team on the board that, that I, I'm, I'm with all have that passion of what can we do to make sure that these families who get caught in this situation, you know, without, you know, there's no prior warning. Um, how can we help as many as possible? Obviously we want no customers. We want zero customers, but that's not reality. When I say customers, you know, families in need, and that's not reality. Reality is these are going to continue to happen. And um, so awareness like you're doing with the helmets and, all these other things. I see just a, a you know, it's, a, it's an outreach of, uh, of information, uh, resources, support, both financially and emotionally, uh, families. Uh, you know, there's, there's no, you know, it's a, it's an unfortunate statistic, but you know, 80, I think it's 80 something percent of families, um, separate husbands and wives separate through a, through a, a situation like this. It happened to us after eight years. So, um, you know, those are, those are all things that you, the peripheral things outside of the actual dollars that, uh, get used through Hope for Minds. I mean, Team Luke Hope for Minds is, you know, the, all the, you know, the whole bundle of services that are geared around improvement and absolutely hope. Because I feel like if you don't have hope, you really don't have anything. I think that's true in so, life, isn't it? About whatever we true. do, whether it's relationships or whether it's mm-hmm. our job. And, yep. and, and, you know, and, and you and I obviously have been through this, but Rhonda, mm-hmm. you took on this role without having a child um, who had a brain injury. And so it, it says a lot about you. And if mm-hmm. you could, Rhonda, in, in closing, if you could kind of tell us a little bit more about Team Local for Minds and the role that you have. So, as he, as we mentioned, we help, you know, with the financial um, aspect and as well as the emotional. So we take applications from families all over the United States um, that have found themselves in the situation. Um, so, like I said, help with these different things. We can even help with bills um, like living expenses as families are in the hospital and rehab places for months at a time and they haven't been able to work and pay their bills. So, you know, we help with that too, we don't want anyone to lose their home or not have electricity. And we just absolutely want to walk alongside them um, because it's, it's a long journey um, and it's a marathon. So we want to be able to also provide that emotional support with our support groups. Um, We, you know, we have a sibling support group. We have our, just our family support group. Our, we have focus groups where we bring in, a presenter. Um, we have open forum groups where, you know, families just, the parents just talk. And then we have 
brain injury survivor support group that's been amazing. Um, we even have a marriage support group. So we, we're starting all these groups just so they can have those connections with each other and then, you know, just feel the support. Um, and I feel like you learn so much from other mm-hmm. parents. Um, you learn about different therapies. You learn how they're coping. And then as, as John mentioned, marriages so often break. I mean, it, it breaks up. They, it does not work with all the stress that goes on and um, the decisions that have to be made. And it's just a very difficult thing. So I feel like even with you, Tim and John, like talking to, to fathers about, um, you know, this is what happened with us. This is what I suggest you do and put your marriage first, like really your relationship is so important. Um, and then of course the other children too, that's a a struggle. So we just, we just want to be able to, like I said, walk alongside them and help them in whatever way, um, that they need. And I think just feeling supported and having that hope is what gets, you know, people through the day. Um, so it does. We don't, my hope is that you don't have, you won't have a father or mother having to make a decision about the withdrawal of care based on um, what is unknown, but seems very, very scary in the 24th or 36th hour. And they're going, how are we going to, how are we going to be able to manage this? And from a financial standpoint, from a, so if there's hope and you reach some of these folks that, um, that there is a story that uh, can can impact them, um, then you know I think we've done our job, um, and that someone's going to walk alongside them uh, throughout the process. Because, like Ron said, it's a it's a marathon, and you have to be committed to the lifelong you know run. So. Well, I, I I certainly can can attest to that. That um, you know every day, Ron and I, uh, along with. John, you're, you're part of our board, um, our staff. Um, we receive applications every day. We have our annual Making Connections, our Pediatric Brain Injury Conference every year. This past year, where we had 120 families coming in from 27 states. So, you know, I, I look at JD and I look at Luke, and and it's about keeping um, their legacy alive. In, in Luke's case, Luke's legacy alive. And, and to see JD's progress is just a beautiful thing. And I think more than anything, it is this, what we do is to give hope to families that through therapies, through love, your child can improve. Um, We all know that every brain injury is different and the results are different, but um, I can certainly attest to the fact that Luke made improvements and JD has made tremendous improvements and, and families all over the country need to know this, that your child can improve and have um, a better quality of life. And and I want to thank you, John, for your support of, of our mission, because every day we are always looking to to raise money to help these families. We never want to tell a family no. Uh, sometimes we have to tell a family, hold on. And that's what we're doing right now with a little bit of a waiting list. But but your support, being on the board, and, and Rhonda, all that you do uh, leading our organization is just tremendous. So I thank both of you so much and uh, look forward to... Um, helping as many families as we can for the rest of our lives. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tim. Thank you.